steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs, sideline, touchdown. to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Maholt. And today, we are talking about your Minnesota Vikings and their impending matchup with the Jacksonville Jaguars. A 1-10 football team, which I think we should ve- feel very comfortable that the Vikings should win against. That being said, we're all Minnesotans, or at least uh, fans of this Minnesota football team, and we're aware of what can happen if you look past the game. So we will break down the intricacies of the Jacksonville Jaguars, how your Minnesota Vikings match up with them and so forth. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. It's the, the week, uh, the previous week actually isn't even over yet. Um, we're both, <laughs> both have the Pittsburgh Ravens game on in the background. Pretty hilarious to watch afternoon football on a Wednesday. Um, but here we are. It's a, it's a weird season and it's getting weirder for your Minnesota Vikings who, as we discussed in the last show, have a chance to get to six and six in the 500 record after starting the season one and five. And, um, if you didn't count the Vikings out, good for you, but pretty much everyone else did, and yet here we are, um, what is it, 10 weeks later, or five or six weeks later, and uh, they're in pole position at this point to get back into the race. So um, let's talk about it. Let's talk about this Jaguars team. Um, like I said, this should, I mean, in theory, this is a pushover game. The Jaguars are 1-10 in 10 for a reason. Um, we're going to go through the players on this team who can, you know, potentially hurt you as these are still professionals. I don't want to take away from that. Um, but all told, if you're a playoff team, you definitely got to beat the worst team in the NFL, right? Um, cause that's basically statistically speaking across the board. That's what the Jacksonville Jaguars are. Well, they're the worst team besides the Jets. Um, I mean, there's, that's, I mean, that's I mean, probably I know the, Jets the best are bad, way to but explain like, it. Okay, let me let me ask you this, just before you go any further. Sam Darnold or Mike Glennon, which team? Fair, which fair. Team? Well, and Sam Darnold's not good, but I, he would start on the Jags uh, very definitively. <laughs> Something so. to consider as we go through here. But I I rest my case, and the Jets are pretty bad, so continue. Yes, both, they're both very bad. Uh, <laughs> Jacksonville has not won since they beat, oddly enough, the Colts week one, and – since then, and they haven't, I mean, a lot of their losses have not been close games. Um, honestly, the one of the closer games that they've had is actually Green Bay at Lambeau when they kept it close there. Uh, and then they had a close one against Houston, close one against Cleveland last week, but every other one has been more than a touchdown difference uh, in, that, in their losses. So uh, they're not a very competitive team. Um, and I, I think, especially lately, a, a lot of that is just the lack of firepower in the passing game offensively. Um, and of course, with Gardner Minshew started to struggle and he got hurt. They threw in Jake Luton and he didn't uh, quite grasp things right away. Mike Glennon's been in there. I uh, was in there last week. So uh, there are there are players. There are some like, you know, there is some future, like, I don't want to say star power, but, um, you know, there's solid players and pieces to work with to build for the future, but they're just not ready to win right now. And that's definitely shown throughout the season. And of course, in their record. Absolutely. Well, I mean, 
to their credit, or maybe not to their credit, but uh, as a defense. bit of an excuse. Yeah, in their defense. Um, they are in, like, a complete overhaul, right? Given what happened this offseason, you and I were just talking about this before the show. I mean, how are you supposed to be competitive when the entire organization wants to leave Mm-hmm. Organization. Every every right. notable like good player wanted out of there, you know. And Clance they all Campbell, got their they got their requests Ronnie too. Harrison, Yannick Ngakwe, like the list goes on and on. All all these good players, you know, Leonard Fournette could be is one of them as well. Although I think they just cut him because there's no reason to Calais have Clay Campbell's another running one back that expensive. Yep, yep. So there's, I mean, yeah, and that's where the Jags are now. They're using half of their depth chart at least that's the starting position are guys that probably should be backups right now right. um but they're rolling with it they're they're taking the punches and they're gonna you know obviously they're kind of building up towards the next year and the year after that to kind of use their draft picks use their younger players to move forward here i will say though as we get into maybe the jacksonville offense a little bit um, james robinson has been really good at running back for them undrafted coming into this year and after some injuries and some i think covid issues early on in the season Robinson was given the opportunity to be the number one back and he's been really really good for them absolutely absolutely I think that that's a great transition into kind of the meat of our show here let's focus on this this Jaguars offense and how the Vikings defense will oppose them um Normally, we do start with the quarterback. Uh, it's not Gardner Minshew, as Drew said earlier. Uh, it's Mike Glennon uh, this week. So I don't, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on Mike Glennon for a couple of reasons. First and foremost being that he's not that good of a quarterback. and I don't think that he's the reason the Vikings would lose this game in the, you know, in the result where the Vikings lose the football game. I don't think it's Mike Glennon that does it. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on him today. But I do want to talk about James Robinson, the guy that you just brought up. Um, like you said, former undrafted guy out of Illinois State. Uh, so he has battled to get here. Um, Illinois State is certainly not a powerhouse, and it's definitely not a recruiting central area uh, there in in Illinois. Um, I believe most recruits stick to the Illini. So uh, James Robinson has battled to get to the NFL, and it really it does show. Um, this is, in my opinion, the most dangerous player on their team. Uh, the fact that he's a running back lessens that a little bit because a guy like you know Keelan Cole or DJ Chart can beat you over the top. Um, and they can be more threatening in that sense. But as far as a consistent foundational piece that you can use to build towards the future for Jacksonville and a guy who can churn up yards and make you seem competitive, that's James Robinson. That's your guy this week. He's got great elusiveness. Um, he's, got, he's kind of got like – his power is interesting to me because he's tiny, but he doesn't play tiny. I don't, I'm not going to say he's, you know – a reincarnation of a guy like Maurice Jones drew, but he does play a little bit bigger than his size. In my opinion, Uh, he's good with the football in all senses of the word, Um, all purpose back and catch the ball out of the backfield. He will total up receptions um, over the course of a game. And of course, throughout the course of a season. Uh, But really to me, the difference maker for him um, is just that ability to get to the second level and break off of that first read. So, when you are defending a player like James Robinson and against a team like Jacksonville, which struggles to throw the ball, despite the fact that they do have a collection of solid assets at receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of hard as we know to, to get the ball to these elite receivers or these very good receivers when you don't have a guy to put the football in their hand. Uh, to me, you stack the box, obviously, right? Uh, you got you to gotta put eight in the box for this team because, like I said, it's Mike Glennon that's going to be throwing the football. Uh, there's a reason why he's starting this week. It's not because he's the best quarterback on this team. It's because Gardner Minshew has been injured, inconsistent, COVID, everything else, and they've kind of fallen into this position where they have to start this guy. Um, and to me, 
if you're the Vikings, if you're Mike Zimmer, you look at Mike Glennon, you look at the way that they run this offense for the most part, right? It's a bit of kind of a finicky offense to a degree because they have LaVisca Chenault, the rookie out of Colorado, who kind of does some wildcat stuff and some motion and play reverses and different types of things on this offense to make it look a little bit more creative than it really is in my personal opinion. Uh, so if you, if you're, you know, if you're trying to stop this offense from moving the chains consistently and worrying less about Mike Glennon beating you over the top, which in my opinion is kind of the route to go this week, then you stack the box with eight players. You play your conventional four, three, four, four, three, four scheme in your base defense. You put three linebackers out there. You don't play nickel for as much as possible. Unless they bring three guys out as receiver, you stay in your base formation and you make sure that James Robinson doesn't beat you. And to me, that's the key to victory in itself. If James Robinson doesn't score two or three touchdowns, the Vikings are in position to win this game by default. Right. I mean, that's James Robinson is the one kind of known uh, commodity right now at Jacksonville and, and a guy you know is going to produce if given the opportunity. So, uh, but to, you know, kind of, uh, expand your point about Glennon not being sort of the threat of this team, right? Uh, I think he had a couple of solid throws last week, kind of keeping Jacksonville competitive with a, a Cleveland team that is, uh, you know, they're eight and three and Kevin Stefanski might be coach of the year. If, if uh, the Steelers lose a couple games and Tomlin kind of loses that award, but um, Mike Zimmer has, uh, and during his Vikings tenure actually went up against Mike Glennon before. Uh, and so I remember Glennon was the starter for Chicago in 2017, I believe, to start the year, the Trubisky rookie season. But then that first game of the year, Vikings-Bears, is when Trubisky made his first career start. So it wasn't in 2017. It was actually 2014 was when Zimmer played against Mike Glennon uh, as a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right? Vikings won that game in overtime. Glennon was sacked five times through four is 19 for 28, 171 yards, a touchdown and a pick at six yards per attempt. So a rather inefficient day for Glennon. Um, and now that's a Tampa Bay offense, you know, six years ago, there was entirely different personnel and people involved, but it's a little bit of context as to history there. Um, Zimmer versus Mike Lennon. And again, I mean, other than that, I don't know much about Mike Lennon. Uh, I know he's been kind of a journeyman backup for most of his career. I know he's got a, seven foot long neck. Uh, but other than that, that's, he's a brontosaurus. That's a bay. That's a bit. Yeah. That's, that's what I know about Mike Lennon. He's not a big name. And I think it's probably for a reason. You know, it's not your fault that you don't know a whole lot about Mike Lennon. <laughs> I, I agree. It's, it's Mike Lennon's fault. And that's because he's not that good of a quarterback. He's thrown 35 passes this year for a reason, right? He's been a journeyman backup, as you stated for a long time for a reason. Um, there's a reason why he was replaced by the guys that the Vikings just beat last week in Chicago, right? <laughs> I mean, he's just simply not that much of a threat. He's a career backup. He holds the clipboard as well as anyone, but he doesn't throw the football that well. His career stats are one great season for Peyton Manning. He's been in the league for, what, eight years? And his total stats are, Pat, are, are Peyton Manning's you know, MVP year, basically across the board. And when I say that, I'm saying that in terms of volume numbers, not efficiency numbers. So yeah, the 5,300 yards, 38 touchdowns, 20 picks. Um, but that, you know, the difference there is that's on 836 attempts. Right. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's yeah, not super efficient uh, throughout his career for the most part. So uh, like you said, not, not the big threat there. Although there are some receivers that 
can present a challenge, right? DJ Shark being the kind of the, the the biggest stat accumulator so far of the names, but LaVisca Chenault has been kind of fun to watch sort of a little bit of the Cordero Patterson mode on offense, right? Where uh, kind of can line him up anywhere. He'll take handoffs out of the, out of the backfield and he will line up in the slot. He'll be on that jet motion. Uh, you know, they also have Chris Conley tied in that Tyler Eifert, big, huge body athletic. Um, so they have guys like, like, you know, young, uh, athletic kind of guy, like players with potential at the skill positions. Uh, and it's just getting them a quarterback and then getting some protection as well, uh, will be the next step for Jacksonville moving forward. But, um, overall it's with any team, it starts with the quarterback and there's no real reason unless Mike Glennon has a career day to be scared of this offense. Absolutely. So you look at these receiving threats, you mentioned a couple of them, um, I think that Chark obviously is the main guy here. He is the one, um, like he said, that's going to be the stat accumulator. Um, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm conflicted on DJ Chark because he is a solid player at times. And he's also a guy that disappears at other times. Now he does play for Jacksonville. So disappearing isn't necessarily his fault, but that's also something I don't know how to determine for myself just but by here's, watching the I mean, for context, right? Allen Robinson played for Jacksonville with Blake Bortles throwing the ball, and he never really seemed to disappear there. So it disappear in the way that, you know, he plays for the small market Jacksonville right. team. But, you know, there are games where Shark just doesn't put up any numbers or doesn't uh, kind of is blanketed and taken out of the game, so to speak, by the opposing corner. So I, I, and, to that point, yeah. I mean, and you can, you can simply echo that point with Keelan Cole as well who is a guy who came, burst onto the scene last season, if you remember. Keelan Cole came out of absolutely nowhere. He made one amazing catch, and he kind of got the, 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 the RC Cola version of the Odell Beckham effect where he made the catch, he blew up for a second, everyone on ESPN was talking about it, and then you watch him play consistently because you think, oh, this guy's got some great hands. You know, he obviously had to get open to make that catch, um, and there just hasn't been much consistency. I mean, the numbers are fine. You know, if you're going to take 39 receptions and 497 yards from your number two, that's fine. Like, that's cool. Like, but it's not elite. It's not something I'm super fearful of, even with the Vikings kind of depleted secondary. Now, I think the Chenault, the Colorado kid, is probably the biggest concern of mine from the receiver perspective. And it goes back to what we've already talked about. And just the fact that he can line up everywhere. And not that he – it's not even necessarily that he can line up everywhere. It's that he does line up everywhere. I don't think he's the most effective route runner at this point in his career. Um, I do think he's better and will be better than Cordero Patterson in that respect. So if you are one of the people that's making the comparison to Cordero Patterson, I would take a double check on that route running because it's, it's light years ahead of where Cordero Patterson ever probably will be. Um, but that being said, he's used kind of in the same way that Percy Harvin is, and that's because this is a gimmick offense to a degree, to a degree, right? There's just not enough playmakers on this team to do anything without having some fun with the football. So, um, you know, with that all being said, I mean, how do you slow down this receiving core outside of, you know, just blanket coverage, right? That's, you know, the obvious answer every single week. I don't think that there's a right answer with this team. I think you just have to be like, there isn't like you don't look at this team and you say, all right, if you play cover two, you're going to play, you're going to win. If you play press, you're going to win. I don't think it's like that this week. I think to, I think this week it's just about keeping one guy from beating you. And that's James Robinson. And if they can't run the football and you're forced to, to get Mike Glennon throwing the ball 60, 70% of the time for the entire second half, I just don't see 
how the Vikings lose in that sense. Again, we've been in this position before, literally two weeks ago, where I said, I don't know how the Vikings lose if X, Y, and Z happen. And then X, Y, and Z happen, and, you know, they still lost. So That's the thing. is like playing – like the Falcons game, for example, right? We went in there, and, and for like our pregame show, we are talking about how, you know, the Vikings just uh, – you got to shut down, you know, your Julio Jones, your Calvin Ridley, uh, Matt Ryan. You know, and Zimmer has been uh, awesome against Matt Ryan through his tenure. And so we didn't really foresee the issues. And then Kirk Cousins turns it over three times in the first half. Uh, very detrimental turnovers. Falcons turn those into points. And, like, those are the things that we don't foresee. Like, we're not going into this game thinking, all right, well, Kirk Cousins is going to turn it over three times in uh, his own red zone, and that's going to give the Jags 20 points. Like, that's not – that's the way the Vikings lose these games against bad teams. It's just by back-breaking mistakes versus just simply being outplayed by the other team. So, uh, as long as the Vikings keep doing what they have been doing the last five weeks, they will win this game. Uh, and that is primarily I'm talking about taking care of the football offensively. And then the way Mike Zimmer has the last really since the bye week, he's been able to sort of uh, elevate the defense to a higher level than they really should be based on the personnel. Uh, and if he continues to do that, offense takes care of the ball, they will win this game. And I think they'll do so handily. Yep. That certainly is the logical kind of perspective here. Um, and you mentioned the offensive line too. Uh, there's some bigger names on here. Cam Robinson being one of them that I know both you and I liked when he was, you know, coming out as a prospect and AJ can as well from South Carolina, another very solid prospect. Uh, Juwan Taylor, again, another solid prospect. Uh, but this unit hasn't came together in a big enough way where they can be effective passing the football, but obviously they're doing enough running the ball to give James Robinson mm -hmm. some holes. So keep that in mind when you're kind of, you know, when you're evaluating this offensive line, it's really, you know, it's we try we kind of create an overall perception of offensive linemen where we don't break it down into run blocking and pass protection because both pieces are so key to winning a football game. But with that said, like this is a different team when they try to run the ball. They're much they're and honestly the Vikings are too, to be honest. Uh, they're just a, it's a much different group running the football than it is when they're trying to go through the air. Um, and that's, you know, it's interesting because at some point you'd think that we'd see your guy Ben Barch at some point because, you know, this simply is not, you know, it's, this is not a strong enough offensive line where it feels like, you know, you can't make some changes, right? Especially with the, this, you know, this coaching staff probably, you know, playing for its job at this point and you're one in 10, you're trying to develop players. It's an interesting situation, but I don't know. I feel like we should, we have to talk about Ben Barch a little bit because you know he's your St. John's guy, right? Yeah, I was wondering when he would kind of be brought up, but I mean, there's that you know the the truth is that there's not really much to talk about yet. Uh, he's you know kind of swinging in there when needed at guard for Jacksonville right now. Um, but for those who don't know, you know, played at St. John's D three school in Minnesota, was drafted in the fourth round this year by Jacksonville. Uh, I know I really wanted him in Minnesota for very biased reasons, but. Um, he, you know, played tight end for two years at St. John's and then, uh, you know, transitioned to, to left tackle and just, you know, was a stud. And then, of course, he was the, the you know, made famous by the smoothie that helped him gain all the weight to play tackle. So, uh, but as of now, he's been moving in the guard for Jacksonville kind of when needed for injury purposes. I don't believe he's starting yet. Um, I know he got some run last week against Cleveland, so. Uh, but yeah, I, like you said, I mean, there's, there's reason we haven't really brought up Ben Barts because 
he hasn't played a lot and he's just kind of a guy there in Jacksonville right now. That's kind of the, that's the truth of it right there. He is just kind of a guy, uh, a fun guy, nonetheless, but uh, a guy. Um, well, let's transition over to the defense here. I think we covered all our bases with this offense and, and really uh, there just isn't a whole lot more to say. <laughs> um, that's just kind of where they are. Um, now on the defensive side of the football, it, it honestly, it gets a little bit worse, I think. Uh, yeah, and I think so. I it's, think that's it's probably not good on, it's not good. However you look at this team, it's right. not because you could even look at kicker, which by the way, revenge game for Chase McLaughlin this week, uh, <laughs> at kicker, the Vikings protected him or however that works like eight times. And then they signed him finally, but, um, Jacksonville defense, they are 30th in points allowed. They are 31st in yards allowed. Uh, you go over to the kind of the passing rushing categories. They are 29th passing yards allowed. They are 29th in passing touchdowns allowed. Rushing, they are 29th in rushing yards allowed, 24th rushing touchdowns allowed, and 21st in yards per attempt rushing. Uh, and they're also dead last in net yards per attempt passing allowed. So uh, this defense is truly bad. Uh, in any way you want to compare it to the rest of the NFL, this defense is bad. Uh, truthfully, I don't know very many players on this defense anymore. Miles Jack being one. Uh, as kind of your your hybrid athletic linebacker that I think many actually wanted the Vikings to take early in that the 2017 draft, I believe. I still uh, wanted that, wish they had taken Miles Jack. Yeah, which I think they would have had to trade up into the first, I believe. But that was the Laquan Treadwell pick. year. You got picked, but, or maybe that. Oh, that was a, okay. The Treadwell year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, that's. I mean, if you can help me out on the defense, I'd appreciate it because I don't know. I just don't know a lot of these guys. So, again, I'm going to say the same type of thing that I just said about Mike Glennon. There's a, there's a reason you don't, you don't know a whole lot about these guys. And it's because first and foremost, none of them are for the most part, with the exception to miles Jack and in my opinion, Sidney Jones and Josh Allen, right. And Josh Allen. Yeah. Those are really the only three guys that have pedigree, right? Like they came into the NFL with everyone thinking, Oh, this guy's going to be good. Um, that's really it. There, there just isn't that much more on this group. Uh, Joe Sherbert, Joe Schobert, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with him as a linebacker, uh, most recently played in Cleveland, very average player. I don't have anything super exciting to say about him. Um, Miles Jack is really the catalyst here, but he plays a position where, you know, I've said this before, uh, I'm sure people disagree with it, but to me, linebacker is a position where if you notice the linebacker, most of the time it's probably not good because it means that they miss an assignment. It's like an offensive lineman where as long as they're in the right place and making tackles, you don't even really know because they're just making normal plays that need to happen in a football game in order for a team to win. So Miles Jack plays, you know, a position where he he is in a similar spot as Eric Kendricks to make plays, right? Where he's going to be very good in coverage. It's one of the things that he was most known for when he was at UCLA was his ability to cover both tight ends and running backs out of the backfield. Uh, In addition to that, he is a guy that is a bit of a hybrid type of player. Uh, He's not like, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say he's on the same level as let's say, you know, a Buddha Baker where you can literally line him up at linebacker or safety and, you know, just see the results, but he is a hybrid player in the sense where, you can have him cover a tight end downfield and feel comfortable with it because he's that athletic of a player. He's that big of a player and he can move fast enough to do so. Um, but you can find all that kind of stuff out in his draft profile, right? There's nothing to me. There's nothing stand out about miles Jack as a pro as a prospect. I loved his skill set. I still love his skill set. I think it fits in any 
you know, any contemporary defense right now because of the way that he's able to cover and also make tackles. But that being said, I just don't foresee a way where he can have enough of an impact where you're really destroying what the Vikings like to do. He's not going to meet Kirk Cousins in the backfield throughout this game. He's not a pass rusher for the most part. I mean, there may be occasionally where he shows up there, but for the most part, he's not going to come off the edge. And he's not going to drop back into coverage enough, or in, I guess, he's not going to drop back into passing lanes enough where the Viking, he's going to be in a position to pick off Kirk Cousins. I just don't see it laying out that way from an objective standpoint. Like his role on this defense is not to make big, you know, staple plays in this game. It's to keep the defense consistent in moving forward and in the right direction. And simply there aren't enough guys around him for him to do his job effectively and for this defense to make big plays because miles Jack is the type of player where if you, if you surround him with other assets, he looks that much better because he is giving opportunities to other guys to have success. Unfortunately for Jacksonville, I don't think they have other guys. They don't. They don't. No, Do you, they don't. Mm-mm. I mean, the only one that, they're so young too. Like that's the next part of it, right? Like they're, and the guys that even aren't young are like inexperienced, right? Like they've had injury seasons or something that have kind of knocked down the experience that they actually have been able to gain. So overall, it's just, I mean, there's a reason they're ranking dead last in almost, well, not dead last, but nearly dead last in almost every category. All their key contributors are young and inexperienced. Uh, and you, you know, it's for as good as Miles Jack is, it's at this point, you can build a defense around something like that, but you can't rely solely on, on him right now. So that's where the issue is. And I'm, I, they must, you know, uh, this is kind of a tangent, but it's, it's kind of surprising that Doug Marone is still uh, coaching in Jacksonville too, with uh, you know, just the way things have gone and the fact that they must you kind of think that, you know, it's not his fault. Everybody's left town, right. As, uh, is at least the, the idea of ownership. Uh, Cause they did just fire their GM, but I kind of have some trust in Marone. But uh, anyway, this team, I mean, if the Vikings don't win this game, then there's it's one of those where they don't deserve to be in the playoffs or near the playoff conversation if they can't be Jacksonville at home. So uh, in a way, there's some pressure on the Vikings from that perspective because you better get it done and get to 6-6 six and six against this team. So as far as, you know, pressure goes, right, uh, there's two guys on this team that have two and a half sacks. That's Dwayne Smoot, defensive end, and Josh Allen, who we mentioned before. Um, high pedigree player coming out of was it Florida for Josh Allen, I believe, or Kentucky. I'm Kentucky. I'm sorry. Um, so to me, it's this defense is threefold. They're, again, we're going to go at one at each level, like I typically do. It's going to be Josh Allen that's going to be coming off the edge. He's technically a linebacker, but you know, I basically would call him a defensive end. Um, and at the second level, it's Miles Jack, and the final spot in the in the you know the defensive secondary. It's not great. There's not a whole lot to work with back there, but the one guy that stands out there is Sidney Jones. Um, I don't think that Sidney Jones is anything close to what I thought he was going to be coming out of Washington, but I really liked him as a prospect. He looks in stature to the same as Richard Sherman or Xavier Rhodes. I know that he drew all those comparisons at a pro- as a prospect, uh, but he, he, he was removed from Philadelphia. And if you watched the game the other day, uh, you know that they need a lot of help on defense. It's not just the secondary, but all over the place. And uh, he's not there anymore. He's in Jacksonville, and now he is a rotational piece for the Jaguars. So he's leading their team in interceptions. So I guess, you know, to some degree, he's a playmaker. But 
to me, it's those three guys and everybody else. There's just no one else on this defense that I'm truly concerned about. And again, um, it's games like this where I get very concerned because I pick it apart, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm looking at these list of players. I've watched the film on a handful of these guys. And yes, I will admit there are a handful of guys that I don't even know about. But I, from the work that I have done in the Jaguars games that I have seen, there just isn't anything else that really scares you. And that should make you nervous because without any precedent set one way or the other, it's concerning because straight up the Vikings haven't played the Jaguars. They don't haven't played this team. They have no experience with what they do. All they can do is the same thing that you and I do is watch them on film and mm-hmm. they'll probably come away with a lot of the same conclusions. This is a game that they should walk right through, have no problem winning. And that'll be all, you know, all set and done. They'll move to six and six and, you know, start heading towards the playoff conversation even further. If they have that mindset, I'm really scared because I have that mindset. That's exactly how I think. And I can't blame a Vikings player for having the same mindset, but that's when you get steamrolled. That's when problems occur. So that's the only concern I have this week is that the Vikings overlook this game and forget that they're a week to week team right now. It's truly the only thing that I've got because everything else is just, it says Vikings win this football game. Everything else. Vegas says this, you know, Vegas uh, says it comfortably. Yeah. Any expert on the planet will tell you they think Vikings, no matter what, but that concerns me. There's going to be a lot – for people left in their survivor pool, Vikings are going to be a popular pick this week. Absolutely. Uh, which, if you made it this far, that's pretty impressive. But, uh, you know, the Vikings are going to be a popular pick this week as far as that goes. So, uh, but, yeah, this is, you know, the, yeah, everything you said. Vikings should win this game. They should. Of course, that, the, that term should doesn't carry a whole lot of weight in Minnesota. But with that said, we can start making picks. Picks. Let's start. Are we, uh, you know, are we going to back up our words here by picking the Vikings? I hope so. I'm picking the Vikings. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm also picking the Vikings. And again, I'm, I, I think it's a two score game. I do. Um, I think this is 10 to 14 points. The Vikings win by, you know, if this thing is over by the third quarter, I'm not going to be surprised on the same time. And this is completely contrary to everything I just said, but I'm also not going to be surprised. The Vikings totally blow it because I've seen this too many times. I've seen, I've seen it happen too many times to not, you know, I know now as an adult football fan that when you're watching the Minnesota Vikings, nothing is for certain. And that's the biggest thing that scares me, but all told, I mean, I'm picking the Vikings and I'm, I'm picking them confidently. So, uh, we're both set on Minnesota. We both expect them to move to six and six, and we both expect to be talking more about the playoff conversation next week. But with that being said, a lot can happen between the Vikings game and the next game that they play. Uh, so the Vikings can gain some ground this week. They have potential just looking at this slate. Uh, there's a couple of games here on the schedule that'll be interesting from a Vikings fan perspective and, or just an NFC North or I suppose an NFC playoff picture perspective. Uh, but as a whole, I think a lot of these games are going to pick themselves kind of like last week. Um, we'll start in the NFC South. Uh, Taysom Hill takes his talents to Atlanta this week. New Orleans uh, will get a shot to extend uh, their you know, position in the NFC against a floundering Atlanta team that is as every bit of a roller coaster as it ever has. Right. Yeah, talk about a roller coaster. Um, Atlanta, right, every single week it seems like, you know, like last week – you get the 43 to six win over a contending uh, Raiders team. I don't get it. Which I, don't... I, yeah. Uh, 
gosh, I really, really want to pick it. You know what? Screw it. I'm picking Atlanta in this game. I'm picking Atlanta. And I think I did this last time in that matchup and it didn't go as well, but screw it. Go on Atlanta this week. I'm going to take New Orleans just because they're the safer pick. Um, I have a hard time picking Atlanta as it is and against a good NFC team. I just can't like, like the Saints are, they're not as good. Like Taysom I, Hill is not good. Totally he is not agree. a good quarterback. He is a running back taking snaps who can occasionally throw a football 50 yards downfield, but there's no passing game anymore. And so I, I think the Falcons based on last week, they got, they found something they're going to carry to this week. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, we'll split on that one. Next one on the docket here is Detroit and Chicago. Um, NFC North, you know, fans out there will be, should be keeping an eye on this one because uh, it doesn't necessarily affect the Vikings immediately in terms of where they're going to, you know, be positioned in the, the playoff picture next week. But this does, you know, kind of give uh, – it gives Detroit and I guess, you know, Minnesota and Green Bay as well the opportunity to finish off the Bears this week. If the Bears lose for the sixth time in a row, you could pretty much – wrap this thing up and it's over so uh, does Detroit get it done or does Chicago figure it out that's the million dollar question here these teams are both worse than their record says uh, I think uh, I'm gonna pick the Bears but I don't love that pick I don't I don't want to pick either of these teams but I guess I have to here so give me so the Bears. I'm gonna take Detroit uh, based on two things one uh, I saw how Chicago played last week against Green Bay and I saw how their players responded on social media I think they're quit. I think they're done. They're pissed. They hate everything. Their quarterback's not good. It's basically Allen Robinson against the world. I think they're done. And I think this is kind of, I think last week set the precedent that Nagy's going to be fired. I think it continues this week. Um, on the flip side of that, Matthew Stafford is getting more hype right now, strictly because Aaron Rodgers does Pat McAfee's show every week than he ever has in his entire career, because Aaron Rodgers is pointing out things that Matthew Stafford does that no one else seems to figure out except for Lions fans. So I think you know, I, I think this is, you know, an opportunity for him uh, to beat a good defense. And, you know, the Lions aren't done yet. Uh, we certainly believe they are, but they're not done objectively yet. So I'm going to take the Lions here. Um, next one here is Cleveland and Tennessee. Uh, if I told you at the beginning of the season that this would be a matchup of, you know, super playoff contenders, not just division leaders. but they're both 8-3, and three, right? I believe so, yeah. Uh, I think Tennessee has been the more convincing eight and three team so far. Sure. Uh, so I'm going to take t Tennessee. Although again, Stefanski's done a really good job with Cleveland. So I'm going to take Tennessee as well. Um, I was talking about Cleveland with one of my buddies the other day because he, he was like, wait, Cleveland's eight and three. And in my head, I was like, wait, Cleveland's eight and three because they don't play like an eight and three football team. Right. Uh, they don't, they don't look I mean, Baker's having like a, it's similar to like Teddy in 2015. Uh, where you know the passing the gaudy stats aren't there uh they're running the ball a lot and they're doing they're really honestly they're doing it with defense and of course their their schedule has not been very it's been terrible either. So that was the point that i like was gonna play make the this. nfc east and you know they're beating up on bad teams and then they got smoked uh, by the two good teams that they right played. steelers they got smoked by the steelers and ravens by 30 plus each time and then the raiders got the best of them as well so They've been beaten up on bad teams. They get a good team this week, and I think Tennessee takes advantage of it. Yep, I'm with you on that. I'll go Tennessee as well. So next one here is Cincinnati and Miami. Uh, no Joe Burrow. Um, I believe it's no Tua yet. Um, I haven't seen the, the final report on that either, but uh, this was supposed to be a really fun game, and it, yeah. it doesn't seem like it's going to be. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, who you got in this one? 
I got Miami in this one. Uh, I don't know. I don't care who it's, if it's Tua, if it's Fitzpatrick, that defense is actually really, really good. And so whoever plays quarterback for Cincinnati is going to have a rough one. So what's my rule on this, right? When it's a flip of the coin, you go to coaching generally. Uh, Brian Flores is the much better coach here. So I will go Miami as well. Um, pretty convincingly. Uh, the next one is Las Vegas and the Jets. So our rule with the Jets is we're just going to go Vegas. Yep. Yep. I don't even feel the need to discuss that one any further. So um, Indianapolis at Houston, AFC South. Houston has came alive. Deshaun Jackson uh, – or excuse me, Deshaun Watson, my bad, um, has made uh, Houston relevant again kind of just by putting the team on his shoulders. And Romeo Cornell is doing a hell of a job, and he's making a case for you know, being a head coaching candidate either in Houston or somewhere else. Um, he gets a big matchup here this week against, the, you know, the – the team that's supposed to win the South at this point, and that's Indianapolis. Um, I, I guess you could say that Tennessee is probably watching this game very closely as well. But Indianapolis has certainly, you know, asserted themselves with the exception of last week where Tennessee ran right through them as a power in the AFC and a, in a, in a power in the AFC South. So is Houston able to get it done this week, or uh, are they rolling more towards a top 10 pick? I've got – uh, Indianapolis and I think a lot of that's too just like who you know who's going to step up to that number one receiver role now with Will Fuller suspended for uh, the rest of the really season point. plus into next year I think so I'm going to take the Colts yeah I think uh, I think the Colts are the safe pick and that's a really good point about Will Fuller who is Deshaun Watson going to throw the ball to now I don't have the answer because Kenny Stills is gone too. So Indianapolis is the safe pick. Uh, this one's fun, and this is fun for Vikings fans. I'm sure you all be keeping an eye on this one. The Los Angeles Rams take on the Arizona Cardinals in Glendale. Um, as you may have noted, uh, Arizona is free-falling. Los Angeles, on the other hand, not making a very sturdy case to win their division either, coming off of a loss to a depleted San Francisco team. So either one of these teams could clear a hole for the Vikings to make the playoffs in theory down the line uh, and it's kind of starts this week so this hmm. is an opportunity for Los Angeles to reassert itself and also for Arizona to get back in it I mean they are blowing everything they built early in the season in the last couple weeks here so right who gets it done Jared Goff or Kyler Murray this week yeah it seems like there's teams last couple of weeks have sort of put together a blueprint for beating Arizona uh, and if you I mean Arizona is what's their record now six and five they're five and six if DeAndre Hopkins doesn't make that superhero catch against Buffalo so uh, I'm going to take the Rams, and I think it's one of those where, like, I'm sort of banking on Jared Goff to not have a terrible game back-to-back because -back, he already had one last week. doesn't seem like it happens twice in a row. So uh, I'm going to take the Rams. Okay, so I think the Rams are the safe pick, right? Uh, I'm going to take Arizona because I want to see Arizona win and also because I'm two games behind you in this competition, and this seems like a, an opportunity here to gain a game back because I don't know who's going to win this game because I don't know who the worst team is. I think I know who the better team is, but I don't know who the worst team is because these both – I mean, both these teams don't like – Well, the Rams – Jared Goff is so volatile, right? Like, he can have just hideous games at quarterback. Right. Uh, and, like, I think his floor is much lower than Kyler's floor. I would uh, agree. So, that's kind of what, to your point about, you know, you don't know which team is worse. You know which team might right. be better at their peak. But I think the Rams' is worse is pretty bad. It is pretty bad. And Booger McFarlane went in on Jared Goff the other day on ESPN. By the way, I just wanted to make note of this because it was one of the first intelligent things that I think I've heard Booger McFarlane say. And he was talking about – remember in Hard Knocks? This was, you know, I think it was three or four years ago when – I think it was Sean McVay's first or second year as the coach. Um, and Jared Goff was on Hard Knocks as a rookie, and he didn't understand anything, like nothing. And the, Actually, you know what? I take that back. This was when Jeff Fisher was still coach. 
Um, Sean McVay had not arrived yet. He didn't ex- understand anything. He played terribly. Everyone wrote him off as a rookie, and then Sean McVay stepped in and brought him to a Super Bowl, right? Uh, the point that McFarlane made is that Jared Goff needs his hand held. And it's, yeah, he does. It's kind That's of hard to the most clear case it. of a system quarterback, to, you know, to the, what the term seems to mean now, the kind right. of take given. Jared Goff is the system quarterback in the NFL. Uh, more than any other quarterback I think I've seen in a while. So Absolutely. And what makes that interesting then is this becomes a battle of coaches, right? Um, and Cliff Kingsbury, I know he's not as successful as Sean McVay, but he certainly has kind of that trait, the innovative trait as a head coach to be an offensive schemist, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. So this should be a fun one. Uh, I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on, on, on it. I'll take Arizona, Drew's on LA. Uh, next one here, the New York Giants, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, the Giants are the leaders in the NFC East right now. <laughs> And the Seahawks are coming off of another win. Russell Wilson looks a little bit more normal, but not fully back to that MVP form that he showed the first month of the year. Who you got in this one? I think it's Seattle just because, you know, the Giants are also going to have Colt McCoy at quarterback. So I'm going to go Seattle. Yeah, I think Seattle's the safe pick here. I'll go them as well. Uh, Philadelphia, Green Bay, another one to keep an eye on, I suppose, uh, just because, you know, if Green Bay loses, the Vikings are – you can root for Philly. Uh, you root for Philly. I don't think it's plausible. It's, it's yeah. I mean, Green Bay is going to win the game, but right. you can root for Philly just for the fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Drew and I are both going going Green Bay here. Uh, we are just. I don't think I'll ever pick an NFC East team again unless they're playing each other. So uh, New England at Los Angeles Chargers is the next one here. Uh, New England coming off of a win that both of us thought that they were not going to get last week. Um, Chargers, on the other hand, I don't really know what to make of the Chargers. I think they're exciting to watch, but I, I think, think they know they, how to lose. I think uh, they know how to lose, and I think they know how to get their coaches fired. So Yeah, so um, that's why I'm taking New England in this one. It's Bill that, Belichick versus Anthony Lynn to me. Yep, that seems fair, and I don't think Anthony Lynn's going to be that much there that much longer, even if this is you know not his fault. Um, I do think that you're right. So I'm going to take New England as well. Uh, you know, I'm confident that New England's going to be there towards the end of the year. Um, and this is an opportunity for them as a, you know, just like the Vikings, they're playing against a team that they should beat. Um, they have an opportunity to get back into the AFC East picture. Um, I think they win this football game. Um, last couple on the docket here. We got Denver at Kansas city. I don't think we need to talk about that one. Kansas city nope. doesn't have a quarterback or excuse me. Denver doesn't have a quarterback and Kansas city has the best quarterback. So that one seems like a, a blowout in the ha- in the making uh, Washington at Pittsburgh. This one's kind of interesting because Washington has been a lot better than I think people are giving them credit for, specifically defensively. Offensively, a lot of question marks still. But defensively, they can get it done. Uh, so this is, a, this is two of the better defenses in the entire NFL going head-to-head here. Um, I think, you know, when you're dealing with a team which, as of this recording, it's 12-7 to 7 at the moment, um, is perfect on the year. Um, against a team that has certainly not been perfect on the year. It seems like Pittsburgh's the easy pick. But at the same time, if you're going to pick a spot for Pittsburgh to lose this season, this isn't the worst position, in my opinion. Right. I mean, I mean I'm going to take Pittsburgh, but uh, I still contend that Pittsburgh is uh, much, much worse than undefeated record says, just because they've played an easy schedule. And they've had some close calls still, despite having a really easy schedule. I'm going to go Pittsburgh as well. I was just – I was basically burying the lead right there. I don't think this one's going to be close. But if you're going to pick a game for Pittsburgh to lose, again, they don't – like you said, they don't have that much on their schedule. So uh, keep an eye on this one, I suppose. Uh, last few here, 
no real relevancy to your Minnesota Vikings. We got Buffalo at San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco, as I said before, coming off of a win that we didn't think that they were going to get. Buffalo, uh, they got it done against the Chargers last week. Um, do they continue trending towards that AFC East title, or does San Francisco continue to climb back into this picture against all odds, basically? I got, I got Buffalo. Um, San Francisco, there's just – well – yeah, I'll take Buffalo. I kind of do think it's going to be a close game, though, because San Francisco's getting people back now, and uh, they're starting to figure things out. But I'll still take the Bills. Yep, I'm going to take the Bills as well. Uh, Richard Sherman is back. Um, I don't think he's enough of a difference maker um, at this stage in his career to really carry this team. So um, I'm going to take Buffalo as well. Uh, last one here is Dallas and Baltimore. Um, you know, I don't think the docket is as good as it – you know, as you we've seen this year, but it is fun that we get to see football played basically throughout every day of the week, <laughs> which is interesting, of course. Uh, so this game has been rescheduled, and this one will be, I believe, the game on Tuesday uh, next week, and that's Dallas and Baltimore. Um, we've seen Dallas play well. We've also seen Dallas play really bad. Uh, Baltimore could say the exact same thing. Uh, I assume Lamar Jackson will be back in time for this game and you know get through COVID protocol, uh, but if RG3 has to play this game. Yeah, based on what we're seeing tonight, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, both teams are just bad. Uh, I'm going to take the Ravens just because I like defense better. But yeah. uh, uh, that's that's two bad teams. I don't think the Ravens are any good. So yeah. I'm going to take the Ravens, too, out of necessity, right? I think they're going to lose this football game that I'm currently watching. Uh, and they're going to need a win next week. Uh, I think John Harbaugh is a really good coach, a really smart coach, and a really galvanizing coach. Um, so I expect them to get, the, get it done against Dallas next week. And that rounds out our picks here. Uh, so a quick update on where we stand. Uh, last week I went 13-3. and three. Coming off my worst week, I ended up having one of my better weeks, and Drew responded with an 11-5. and five. Uh, So I gained two, two games in the standings. Both of us stand at 63% and 65% on the year, 113-64 and 64 and 115-62, and 62, heading into the final weeks of this year. So uh, any final thoughts before we close this thing out, whether it's about the NFL, the Vikings, or maybe you got some golf thoughts for us? I don't have golf thoughts because it's essentially the off season for the PGA tour, but uh, we'll, we'll have more of those uh, as we get towards the new year, I think. All right, folks. Well, thank you for joining us. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcast. You can check out the comment section on daily Norseman or on YouTube. Make sure to drop us a line there. We enjoy reading through those. It gives us extra content to discuss on this show. And it also lets us tailor the content to what you want to hear, right? Um, ultimately, we want to provide something that's entertaining for you um, and not just entertaining for Drew and myself. So, um, Thank you for being a part of this show with us. Uh, hopefully the Vikings get it done this week and we get to talk about a six and six football team heading towards the playoff picture at the beginning of December. Um, but if not, we'll still be here. So uh, thank you for listening and we will catch you guys next week. Ooh.